The Game Schooler Podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that highlights the educational value of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover her story, our recommended game of the week, discuss life after Monopoly in the School of Gaming, and wrap it up with our high five simultaneous action games. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host, the esteemed Dr. Michael McCabe. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast, Doug. I'm your co-host. <laughs> you are? Yeah. Wow, it's nice 95. meeting you. We talk about family-friendly board games, getting together, playing board games, maybe learning a thing or two through board games. What's S- happening? Slowly chugging along towards episode 100. Yeah, you're excited about that. You've brought that up each of the last few weeks. Well, why wouldn't you be excited? 100 episodes is a lot of episodes. That's yeah. a lot of time. It is. That is true. <laughs> that it is a lot of time. That is. I think it's like 100 weeks. That, Correct. That we've done. <laughs> Correct. Done that. Not yet, but we're getting there. All right. What do you want to talk about? Well, I've, I've got some follow-up. I've got some news. I've got games we've played. Where do you want to go? Jump in on that, and I'll just see where we're at. Go ahead. All right. Well, follow-up. Last week, we talked about deluxe games, right? Yes. And you had gotten it in, and I finally got it in, which yes. was the uh, complete collection of Everdell. 20-pound, 3-ounce, beautiful, beautiful yeah, box. I think yours was a little heavier because you got those extra components. <laughs> um, but that game actually, I mean, I am I have to quit my job to put all the stickers on. Yep. So I'm going to put in my you two You do weeks. own your own business, Doug, <laughs> so you don't actually have to quit. But. <laughs> it's like, that's going to take me like a full day to put all the stickers on the different Do we really want to talk about this now? Yeah. Okay, but, because but, there's an oxaloxal or some animal like that in there. Am I saying that right? No idea. Oxaloxus, oxaloxal. But my six-year-old saw it and said, that's an oxaloxal. So we did a little sticker competition, and Eliza, big surprise, was better at putting stickers on the meeples than me, which I'm really excited about. Because I, I'm not terrible, Doc. You would think like, oh, handshake. No, I can line up a sticker and get it on there. I meet the standard. My six-year-old exceeds the standard and loves putting stickers on wooden objects so look, I'm done. I, f- I feel like I have to go get a degree in brain surgery <laughs> to be more equipped to put those stickers on. <laughs> I mean, I have a lot of Lego sticko- sticker yeah, practice, yeah. but there are a lot of stickers. Well, there's 300. But <laughs> yeah, you're oh, not going to do it all in one day. But lining it up. Oh, Anyway, last week we were talking about deluxe games, and that to me is an example of a game that had a proven track record before it comes out with a super deluxe complete oh, edition. Gosh, you're still you're coming back to the Kickstarter thing again? Like well, I'm just following up of that is a All good right. version yes. of what I expect from yes. that, right? Uh, I mean yes. that it's not I didn't, great version. I didn't back a, a two hundred dollar game with no idea on what I was getting. I had every idea of what Boy, I was getting. I wish I would have had video of you hemming and hawing for those last few weeks. So, folks, behind the Game Schooler curtain, we typically will record on a Thursday if it's not basketball season. If it's basketball season, we'll record whenever we can find time. 
and then we play a few games. Well, when the pledge manager, which is where you put in your money and say, yes, I want this game and I hope that I get it in the next four years. When the pledge manager was about to close, this was Doug the week before. Oh, should I go just hemming and hawing? That is the exact opposite. You jumped right in when the pledge manager opened? I thought yeah, you were no, you didn't know I would, if you're gonna do it. You Everdell. were the one that didn't know whether you're gonna get it because no, I convinced I you on the hair the heirloom thing. You said because you already had it, oh, Everdell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I just remember the exact opposite of what I just said. I jumped in because I did not have mm. Everdell and I said, This is like the heirloom. All right, let's Class. start the podcast over, Doug. <laughs> oh my God, what's the we game? we probably should explain to some of our listeners who are. Do we need to explain what Kickstarter is or not? Because we've talked about it for the last six weeks straight. Are we good to keep uh, going? Yeah, Kickstarter is a crowdfunding, uh, open source type of thing where people, uh, companies originally started with the idea of getting crowds or groups of people to fund a project that maybe otherwise wouldn't get the backing from a larger company. So you would crowdsource it. And complete that project. And Doug so that, hates it. I love it. Doug I, makes fun of me that I love it. I just it back something back today. It. Okay, okay. <laughs> What'd you back? Uh, See how this works, folks. No, what is it? It's a is a candy game. Uh, the the Halloween candy game. It's gosh, I can't think of what it is. It's a spur of the moment. I don't. I don't dislike Kickstarter outside of the fact that I get frustrated when I'm hyped up about the game. And then it takes forever to get there. Oh, yeah. And I'm also frustrated with some of the activities of the way that companies handle it and, yeah. and the way that it's all always a, a $100 back for a game that you don't know whether it's going to be good or not. Other than that, I go in waves of whether I do or don't back stuff. Um, cool. I think the one that I backed today was like $50. I'm like, yeah. I can do that. I'll do a $50. No problem, but once it starts getting into the 150 and the 200 for games that I don't even know if they're good now, you yeah, know, for yeah. minis, so it's kind of a thing. So I wanted to, you know, we talked about Suro having a, an a upgraded yeah. fancy version, and I thought, you know, this Everdell is one of those as well, where I think that is a great use of Kickstarter, and where if you love that game, go out and buy it and, and, and have something like that in your collection. We have a family game night set for one week from tonight to play the base version of Everdell. Perfect. Uh, so I can't wait. I, I wonder how much space that tree is going to take up, and, and I'm excited. <laughs> I'll, I'll update folks about it next week. All right. What else? What do you want to talk well, about? What's next on your list for follow-up? You said you had follow-up, you had news. Yep. You is, had... Uh, is there Are there any games you want to talk about that you've played? Uh, the recommended game of the week, I think I can wait, you know, three to seven minutes to talk about that. So I'll hold <laughs> off on that one. Played some more Spotted. And okay. it's just very interesting. You know, my six-year-old will just shout out, does anyone want to play Spotted? <laughs> and Doug's laughing because he knows that is the exact cadence that Eliza brings to the house. And um, I'm usually running over there and playing because it's kind of hard to get people to play games sometimes, you know, when you're forcing your own children to review games and do things like that and sit down and let me teach you these rules. So I uh, played some Spot It, which is great. And, and it reminded me that, you know, one of our, our listeners, um, a friend of the podcast, put out a great little video on our Facebook page about Spot It and the math behind it. So you yep. go out there and check that out. Yep, and we put a, a blog post up for yep. that as well. So um, though, let's get into some news. Um, you didn't play anything? You want to go right to the news? 
Yeah, I didn't play anything. I, I mean, we played some stuff, but I'm yeah. we can wait on it. It's not it's not pressing. Um, and I think some of the ones that we played, we may be talking about at a later date in more in depth completeness. Uh, so we'll save that for that as a a recommended game teaser. But I'm not going to tell you what it is. Um, we did uh, speaking of website and basic news. Uh, this past Tuesday, we released an overview video for her story, our recommended game of the week this week. So check that out. It just gives you a brief, uh, basic overview of how the game works, what it looks like set up on the table. Uh, I love putting these videos together to just kind of give people a, a quick idea of what a game looks like and what it's about and whether, you know, it, it jumps out at you as maybe something that you'd yeah, like video to... video looks awesome, man. Uh, like, thank you, that you'd like to, to learn more about. Um, as far as news is concerned, there's a couple things going on. One of them is, you know, we've talked in the past about gaming on a budget, and... Oh, yeah. We are now heading into Black Friday and Cyber Monday time. Oh, no. <laughs> so if there are things that you've had an eye on, this is a time to... You know, you're going to be able to pick some of those games up and some of the really popular titles, whether it's at Target or the Big A or any of those. Barnes and Noble. Um, are going to be having those holiday deals that this is a great opportunity for you to get some really good games at some really good deals um, to just be aware of that. I know we've talked about that when we've talked about gaming on a budget and how you get some of those deals. This We are heading into prime area where people are going to be promoting those things. So keep that in mind. Uh, with the holiday in mind, there there are some games that have been announced that I, I thought were very intriguing. Uh, one of them is Super Skill Pinball, the Holiday Edition. So Super Skill Pinball is a kind of a roll and write version of a pinball machine. Yep. Jeffrey Engelstein, right? Uh, yep. And they have a, a holiday special that comes out and the boards, the, the pinball tables that are in the game are from the movie Elf from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and A Christmas Story. Oh, that's cool. Which is kind of the holy trinity of Christmas yeah. movies, yeah, if you ask me. Yeah, you shoot your eye out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that is cool. And then the recommended game of the week, Pictures. There's a Pictures Xmas mm. game coming out uh, or expansion that has new picture cards along with a gift bag that you use as one of the... Um, oh, interesting. Uh, one where, of the uh, objects. Yeah, yeah, what you put in there. And then the other one is like a Christmas table setting that you set up and arrange the items on the table uh, to try and convey the message. So I thought that was kind of intriguing. Um, and then the last thing I wrote down is, did you hear about the game Splitter from Pandasaurus? No. So it is a roll and write game in which you roll two dice and whatever those values are, uh, the, the, the notepad is a symmetrical board or a grid type of thing with boxes on it. Okay. You have to put those two numbers in the exact symmetrical side opposite of each other okay. in the same, same symmetrical space. And then you're trying to group numbers together. So you want a group of threes together and a group of fives together and trying to manipulate that by how you roll the dice. I thought that was kind of an interesting. So is that game coming out? Was it announced? Yeah, yeah it's coming okay. out. Um, I think it's coming out before the end of the year, but I'm not sure. Uh, but I thought that was interesting. Probably not something that would be a, a, a game schooler recommended type of thing, just because there's little to no interaction. But a pretty cool looking puzzle, if you, especially one that I think would be a great 
uh, solo game or in the car car game, something like that, um, that I thought was kind of a cool concept. So it's amazing what people can come up with with two dice and a sheet of paper yeah. that is, is being published now. So whether it hits, I have no idea, but I thought I'd share that. Well, thanks, Doug. Anything else you want to chat about before we move on? I do not believe so. I think I'm good. All right. So we want to remind everybody to spread the word about the podcast. If you like what we're doing here, share it with a friend. Uh, if you think we deserve it, leave a five-star review on wherever you listen to our podcast. And as always, if you have questions, comments, anything like that, reach out to us. We're always available uh, email at gameschooler.com is our email address. Again, email at gameschooler.com. And always a reminder, gameschooler.com has all of our recommended games and some other educational resources there uh, that you can check out. We try to update the blogs every once in a while. There's painted minis on there and uh, some of those overviews we talked about, uh, videos that we've talked about in the past. So keep an eye out there. And again, reach out to us if you have any questions. We love hearing from listeners. With that, let's move on to the recommended game of the week. The recommended game of the week. The recommended game of the week is a family-friendly game we think you should add to your collection, and it passes our stringent criteria for quality and content. This week's game is Her Story by Underdog Games. Doug, give us the stats. Yes, published in 2022 and released shortly before November 1st. Uh, the designer is Nick Bentley, Emerson Matsuchi, and Danielle Reynolds. The art is by Eunice Adeyi and Christina Aguirre. Two to five players, 30 to 60 minutes, ages eight plus. And as of right now, the complexity scale is a one out of five, which I'm assuming is because the game is so new it has yeah. no ratings. I would give it give it a month. A one point eight is where my guesstimate of where I, the anchoring effect. So I'd say one point seven three. <laughs> All right. And in this game, each turn players have the option to research, draft chapters, or complete chapters. Players research chapters by drafting a research token from the idea board and placing it on their desk mat in front of them. Research tokens include four symbol types. They represent reading, thinking, interviewing, and searching. And twice per game, you can use a library card uh, to discard the research tokens from the idea board in attempt to find the perfect one that you need uh, with the icons on it to write the chapters that you want. The chapters are all based on historical or famous women. Um, and in addition to researching, players may draft these chapter cards from the idea board and place it into their desk mat to complete on a subsequent turn. So you can complete these chapters throughout the game by turning in the resource research tokens that you need. Um, and you'll be collecting those to create your book. You need eight chapters is what finishes and continue uh, 
uh, what's the word? Ends the game. Up. Triggers yeah, the end game. Triggers the end game. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, so you can complete a chapter either from your saved drafts, which you've taken earlier, or directly from the idea board. Players must discard the research tokens from their desk to complete a chapter. Chapters are then stacked vertically in the lowest available space of their book. Some chapters even have bonuses such as permanent resource tokens, unique abilities, or endgame scoring perks. The game end one, ends once a player has completed their eighth chapter and the player with the most victory points wins. Uh, you Every time you can complete a chapter, uh, each chapter has a point value, and then you can also score an additional three points if you use the exact research tokens and icons that you need with no wasting. So uh, there's either two or three research icons on each token. Um, and so the distribution of that may be a situation where you can spend resource tokens, but you have some leftover icons. And at that point, you would not get the bonus. Yeah. Uh, what am I missing? It's a great game. So when you get into just the actual gameplay of it, you're not missing anything. Just just kind of adding in and jumping in here. With, with the four different resource icons, the game kind of starts off big, wide open, thinking, oh, I'll be able to complete all these cards, no problem. And then very quickly in, it's you, you realize how important the bonuses are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can complete a card right off the board, but you actually get a two-point bonus for drafting that card in first. So if you take that turn to draft the card, it's a two-point bonus. So it's that sense of, well, how important is that two points? Because if you can hit exactly with the precise amount of resources, that's a three-point bonus. So you can turn a 10-point card into a 15-point card, or the 10-point card could just be 10 points. There are bonuses at the bottom of some of the cards that really pay off early in the game because you can get an extra resource when it's completed, or that pay off at the end of the game because they have an end-of-game bonus and connecting all of those together yeah uh, there's there's a lot of thinking that's happening in here yeah so usually the chapters that are scoring the most points by themselves have no special ability the ones that have uh their lower scoring ones those are the ones that are going to give you those bonus icons or uh end game scoring and other special abilities i think the the icons are usually on the ones with the lowest value and then those middle range you know Two, two to, to four, four points. points are going to yep. be the ones that either have in-game or end-game perks, depending on what it is. The thing about this game is that it's so simple to, l- to learn. I mean, throughout the game, there's, I think, maybe five rules to the whole game. And it does that without sacrificing rewarding decisions. Um, I appreciate that. I appreciate that, like uh, Underdog Games has also done trekking through uh, history which we reviewed and recommended not too long ago. These yep. kind of came right on top of each other. But these and are trekking the world. This yeah, is our third underdog games that has been a recommended game of the week. Games don't overcomplicate themselves. They are cleanly designed. There's no extra fluff and it gets in there and does what it's supposed to do and it provides a rewarding gameplay. There's nothing that I feel like oh, it's missing. Like, I yeah. feel like, oh, it should have this extra thing. No, if if there's more designers really focused and, you know, condense their designs down to, to their essence, um, I think there'd be a lot more titles like this that are, to me, this is a game that will live for a long time because of how well 
it does what it does. Yeah. Um, what, what are some of the things that you like about it? Well, there's it? one other thing that you really like about it, and you've talked about it. Why don't yeah. you, it... So this is something, and I, I teased it last week, but the idea of having facts on cards, so on the back of every one of these chapter cards, you know, the, the woman is on the front with amazing artwork. They're yeah, all it's il- incredible. illustrated the, the pictures. The art is incredible. And it's, it's cohesive. You know, they, they have unique illustrations by the same artists yep. doing all of these pictures where it's like, I could see a company doing this and and throwing some, like Cleopatra. It's like, yeah. oh, well, here's a cave painting of what we think, uh, you know, from a, a pyramid. Or it, a famous uh, yeah. a famous portrait that's been done over time. Yeah, and, or or a, um, you know, we're just going to put a, a picture of Dolly Parton in there. And it's like, no, they're all uniform because they all have the same illustration style. But on the back of every one of these cards, there is a brief biography, you know, her story on their life, and a little did you know segment. I love that concept, and I've seen it on several games. It was on Trekking Through History. It's on the sidebar of the cards on Similo. It will tell you uh, a little fact. It's on the cards for Freedom, the Underground Railroad. Last week, we played a game uh, called Founding Fathers that had little biographies in there. And here's the thing. Here's what I like about it. I'm not reading those biographies while I'm playing the game. I can if I want to. They don't get in the way of gameplay. However, they are there if those are sitting in the classroom as an educational component that people just pick up. I mean, we got done yeah. playing with my daughter, and she said, can I look at the cards when we were done playing? You know, and she grabbed a card off of the the table and said, "Huh, what's this? You know, I wonder what she's famous. You know, what did she do?" Yeah, and and flipped it over and said, like, "What was this person's last name?" And they flipped the card over and they have instantaneous learning and and facts there. And like I said, it doesn't take. It's so simple. It doesn't take away from gameplay, but adds a whole other level for people to appreciate games in a different way. Yeah, and from a graphic design standpoint, and you talked about it, everything fits together. Because mm-hmm. if that's on the front of the card for me, it's going to be distracting. Having it on the back of the card is great during setup and takedown. Yeah. When, when we're talking and just casually talking. And, and I, I look at the, the board, the, the actual idea board with the push pin movers, yeah. right? So what keeps track of the points, the point track that runs around the game board and the game board is called an idea board and your meeple is a little push pin. It kind of looks like a cork board. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. That if you're standing up and looking over the game board, it really pops at you and, and you see it. I really like how everything just fits together um, in a clean way from a design standpoint. From a gameplay standpoint, the game is more thinky than I thought it was going to be. Mm. I we just got done doing a review of of trekking through time, and I had talked about, uh, you know, I solo played that. I played that one quite a bit, and so I I, I came in with um, s- some biases and, and just some, some preconceived notions of what I thought this game was going to be. And when I sat down to play it, it it's a very different game. I can yeah. I, I can have both of these in my collection comfortably because they're very different games. This is 
uh, a card fulfillment, contract fulfillment type of game where the combinations are never quite how I want them. Yeah. And where pieces are disappearing off the board. Uh, Each time that we've played, we've gone through all of the tokens on the bag. So some of that is counting like, oh, when when are we going to get fresh tokens out? And then the library card. I think we need to talk about that a little bit because it's a it's a little layer of excitement uh, added into the game. Yeah, so there are six research tokens that are out on the board that are available for selection during your turn. Every player has a library card. You can flip that library card over to take all of those six off the board and draw six new tokens to replace them. Because sometimes they are not exactly what I want. Exactly. <laughs> and then you can actually discard that library card to do it again. So in a three-player game, for example, there's a possibility that that board could be reset six times um, if everybody used that to their full ability. And I, you know, it's sometimes like, I want something better. Let's see what happens. So it's it's a great way that, that the game doesn't bog down. And to your point, it's thinkier than you thought however the approachability is so easy oh yeah you know and that's where that's where i think that is what we just got beat by an 11 year old (laughs) that's what sets it apart is that you can learn it it non-gamers and gamers can pick this up in no time can play on two completely different levels you can really get into it you can play on the periphery and just kind of coast through it you're going to do okay there's a lot of catch-up um, stuff where it helps players that are behind kind of stay in the hunt. And it does, it for a game that's so simple to learn, the fact that it still has those great decisions and those thinking moments is really a breath of fresh air. Yeah. That it can combine both of those. Normally when we're talking about games that have thinking moments, it, it bogs the game down. And it's like, well, it's thinking because there's so many options. No, this is... The, the options are simple. It's just which one do you want to do? Right, right. Um, I, the other thing I think is really interesting, and it happened yeah, every time we've played this game, which is the excitement when new cards entered the, that idea board based on what people at the table know. You know, so as people that we recognize come out, there's yeah. an excitement. It's like, oh, wow, she's in the game. Or, uh, oh, Mother Teresa, you know, that yeah. type of thing. Or uh, who do we have tonight? Gina Davis and Amelia Earhart. Or, Maria are, Montessori. Yeah. Powerhouse. <laughs> you know, and so everybody kind of comes in with a different knowledge base of of some of these women. And you're just like, oh, I know her. And it's like, oh, I have no idea who that is. You know, and, and like I said, my daughter picking up a card and saying, who is this? Yeah. You know, and, and actually going in there, you know, she was a poet and, you know, some of my, she was flipping, flipping them over. She's like, she died 14 years ago, <laughs> you know? And, and so it was just really neat to actually see the, I know that's what the designers are intending with the game is to um, increase the knowledge of these, these women and, and what they've succeeded and done in their lives. Uh, to see that in practice and execution yeah, cool. working to see you have a young girl that's looking, sees those characters on the board. Like, what did this person do? Yeah. And learning something new, you yeah. know? And a lot of times I think people start out with the best intentions and that these games by underdogs seem to perfectly straddle the board game world and that educational world. Well, and the family game world. Yeah. I which mean, is a, is a tight rope uh, yeah. to walk. 
Uh, what do you think about the, this game comes with a player mat or uh, uh, the game board is a, a neoprene mat. So yeah. think about like a mouse pad type of thing. It is that instead of a cardboard fold out board. What well, do you think about that? You know what I think about that. I've been pretty open about that for probably the last five or six weeks. I love that. I, I, I just do. I am a fan of that. I, I don't, I don't have a problem with cardboard uh, game boards. I, I really yeah. don't. But the neoprene mat is nice because stuff gets picked up off of it easily. Yeah, it's not going to rip or tear. Something can get spilt on it, and it's fine. It's good to go. Yeah, um, I like playing on it. I really do. And I, th- I think the mat in here is excellent. Yeah, and I'm a fan. I love them as long as they fit in the box. You know, you can get yeah. a lot of play mats or, or game mats that, that replace a board lift you know yeah. that that is a that is a problem to me but this and trekking through history both ha- both have neoprene uh, game boards that fold up fit in the box fine and like you said in both of these games there's a lot of card picking up off of the, uh, the board and, and if you had a cardboard board, that gets tricky it get, sometimes. It can get sticky, especially and in your environment. this is never an issue. Yep, yep. So I love that. Uh, anything else that I, I just think we you? know, I think we've talked about a lot of the highlights. We should probably talk about the best fit, if there is a fit from a game schooling standpoint that fits better than the other. Well, this um, is kind of a rarity for me. I have absolutely no concerns, and I think it fits absolutely everywhere. Yeah, that is a rarity for you. That That is 100% accurate. Wow. Um, that's high praise. Somebody at Underdog should, should write that down and make a note. I think um, the other place where it fits is from a project standpoint. If mm. you're homeschooling, if, if you are in a gifted and talented program, if you have a kiddo that needs to be accelerated and pushed a little bit and they're in that sixth or seventh grade area, you know, that 12, 13 years old, this, this game, I'm going to say, is easily three weeks worth of projects. Now, not all day, every day, but if you're looking at an hour a day, you can get 15 hours out of just the history of the cards, having, kid, having kids, youth, put all the different people in different order I mean, you can order by, by, by country, order by time period, order by profession, order by contribution. Um, and, and here's doing the thing. A, doing a deeper dive on, uh, on an individual. Uh, uh, these individuals are not static. A lot of them did multiple things. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there's, there's a lot here other than just uh, a board game. Well, and keep in mind, I, I wrote this down, but I just completely glossed over it. But in a five-player game, Assuming everyone filled up their entire board, so all eight chapters, yeah, and the idea board was still full, you would only see a third of the cards in the game. Right. So that, for from a replayability or not seeing the same faces over and over again, is such a big deal for a game like this. Now take that, and then from a from a gameplay standpoint. In a five-player game, you're going to see all of the resource tiles probably three full times. Yeah. So they're that super min-max gamer can't say, "Oh, it was luck. I didn't see it." No, you saw it. You yeah. you you saw that tile. You it just it came out. Yeah. You just didn't get to it. Yeah. Um, so it really does marry both of those together from an educational standpoint and and just a fantastic game standpoint. Yeah, Michael and I believe that games like, that we recommend provide unique opportunities for skill development, and we want to share some of the skills we think can develop in this week's game. 
Um, the first one that I have is is goals. Uh, That's a good one. A game in which players have clearly defined victory conditions that they must work towards. Um, The idea of, yes, you're working towards eight chapters. You are working towards completing those chapters and drafting those chapters before you complete them and acquiring the resources that this whole game is about accomplishing little things over and over again to meet your goals for the game. Um, and I think that it's distilled down into that. It's not just winning the game. You have a whole bunch of tasks to complete throughout the game. Yeah, and those goals can blend towards a strategy, right? Mm-hmm. You can blend them towards strategy. And that's where I have decision-making. And I, I wrestled with this one, Doug, because three weeks in a row I'm coming out the gate <laughs> with decision-making. But we define that as a game that allows players to make decisions based on currently or previously available information. There's one really nice feature we talked about earlier uh, but by drafting a player, by bringing a player into your own board, you get two points. So yeah, a resource tile may not be out. I may not be able to complete a card, but just that little bit of, oh, got a few points here. I'm catching up or I'm, I'm moving ahead a little bit. Yeah. Uh, there, there always seems to be a positive decision. The game seems to have constant momentum from that first turn, um, there's a little bit of a lull in the middle of the few times we've played, but I think that's because we're playing with some gamer gamers and really reviewing the game and looking at it. Um, but the decision-making is just in there. And seeing your daughter uh, make decisions in the game and and really have a conversation with us while playing. Yeah, I mean, we, we carried a conversation the whole time, and yeah. there was always different things that were coming up, and I want that one. Oh, you took that one. Well, then I guess I'll take this one. And and yeah. I, I think that is in the game in more ways, in, in a variety of ways, than in some of the other games we've recommended. Yeah. I think one of the, the strong points of this game is tactical thinking a game that challenges players to make decisions based on currently and available and frequently changing information. Um, In this game, you need to be flexible. The resource tokens, uh, the research tokens that you have that are out there may not be the best for you. Uh, Or more importantly, ones may come out that you're like, I can wait on what I thought I was going to do. I should pick up that token because I can see how it will work for me in the future. Or, you know, sometimes I will just grab a, um, sometimes the the icons on there are the same. If there's a double light bulb or a double uh, magnifying glass, I'm going to take that even if I don't necessarily need it because I think it might be more flexible long term. And there are a lot of times where I've collected something for, a specific card and then something shows up on the idea board and it's like, no, it's better for me to just complete this out of the board right now yeah. and and fulfill that and then build up a little bit again because of the way that things presented themselves. Because then you don't have to use another turn to, yeah. to bring it in. Yeah. You know, so those and, things that, that in, in all the times that we've played this, I've always felt like there's things where it's like, Ooh, there's an opportunity. Yeah, I need to. Yeah. De- I need to deviate a little bit from what I was. I think there is strategy, especially in a game where you have goals. You know, you are working right. towards things, but you need to have those moments of, 
I need to take a sidebar here because the opportunity presented itself. Well, and with your tactical thinking, that's where I, I'm seeing that as resource management, a mm-hmm. game that boosts a player's capacity to efficiently and effectively oversee available assets. There's a lot of math involved in the game that someone may not be thinking about as math. But when those four resources, I keep saying four, it is four resources, right? You've got books, magnifying, yeah. magnifying glasses, light bulbs, and, and the speech bubble. The speech bubble. Good, so good, in- good. Interviewing, researching, yep, yep, yep. ideas. Good. Yeah. But as those four um, combinations on, on the little tokens, it's assigning them to the cards that you have. It's also looking like you just mentioned, is there anything that I can build right now, right away, that's not um, that I haven't drafted, but that I can build right off the, the idea uh, board? And being able to do that, you know, we just saw an 11 year old beat us at that, but you, <laughs> uh, people who play a lot of board games, bring this to the table and see what happens. You're, there's going to be some high level math happening at the yeah. table. Well, if I do this, then I can't do that. But then if I do this, then I won't be able to do that. And it, it's a fun little resource management puzzle. Yeah. And I had that as well. And I think the, the key phrase for me on that one is the, the efficiently. You know, the way that you Mm -hmm. can score bonuses for doing exact. I think it merges a little bit into logistics, a a game that allows players to manage production flow between the point of origin and consumption is acquiring those uh, tokens and logistics. Yeah. Oh, you you said that differently. I don't know if you you said, uh, yeah, (laughs) what did I say? Logistics? (laughs) I don't know. Um, Yeah. No, I poorly pronounced that. Logistics. I think acquiring those tokens and figuring out how they're going to be dispersed is part of that resource management, a little bit of a a subcategory. There's kind of a unique one that I want to throw out there too, is um, kindness and courtesy. And I don't know if it's the subject matter of the game that kind of brings this out. There are some moments where somebody may take the the tile that you want, but there does seem to be a, a general reverence while playing this game. Um, that I think we haven't had any tackling. We've had very, very <laughs> little swearing. You're right. The reverence is pretty high. I mean, it, it, it's one of those things where it's like people are, are genuinely happy about the, the cards coming out. They're excited. You know, people are excited when they complete the cards and there just seems to be a, a gentleness that that surrounds this game that I cannot like if you're playing with people where this gets cutthroat you're playing with uh, jerks yeah 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 you well, know what I mean so right, it's like, and, a different table but it's like this game with a different theme yeah I could see that elevating to a thing sure. like oh I can't believe you took that yeah um but there's no, you're something right. about the theme that. works really well with that that's so, great what else you got the uh, the last one I want to touch on is processing information a game in which players must examine or analyze information. Anytime there's resource management, anytime there's decision-making, the ability to process information and really hold together multiple ideas and then execute one of those ideas and, hey, see what happens. Did it work? All right, I'll try that again. Didn't it work? Uh Uh-oh, what do I do now? The bonuses, there are bonuses that are definitely great to have early, and then there are bonuses that are, are made specifically for the end game. Uh, and just processing how to get those and when to get those and when yeah that, that's that's the last skill that I think is really in here um, that I wanted to talk to our listeners about tonight. Yeah, no, that's a great one and certainly on my my short list as well. Um, I think to summarize, underdog games 
has a really good game on their hands, and their track record of game quality, component quality, and everything about what they're doing and their mission statement yeah. has got me excited for any game that they announce is yeah. coming out. And I can't say that there are a lot of publishers for me that, that fit in that that wheelhouse right now. And they look beautiful on a shelf. I mean, yes. not, not to get too worldly, yeah. but their boxes sitting on a shelf really look nice. Yeah, so this is a, a great game. It's currently available right now. Their their main source is, is Amazon to purchase that. And I know, I'm thinking at the time of recording, there's a, a $10 off coupon on this one right now. Possibly, so, but typically hope. $50 all day for this game. Yep, so that is our recommended game of the week, her Story by Underdog Games. Let's move on to the School of Gaming. The School of Gaming. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming and education. This week, we'll be discussing life after Monopoly. <laughs> All right. So this is a, a kind of a new segment uh, in the School of Gaming that we're going to be starting and kind of going through some of these games. These are games that are, you know, in the, the pop culture. They're games that we've played growing up. Uh, they're by mass market publishers. Things that, you know, whether it's Monopoly or Jenga, Sorry, Shoots and Ladders, Candyland, those type of things that... We just lost all of our listeners. <laughs> that a lot of people associate with tabletop gaming. Yeah. You say you're doing something on board games like, oh, like Monopoly. Oh, like Monopoly. Yeah. Um, and I know that there are a lot of teachers that still use Monopoly in um, business classes and things like that. So we want to talk about some of these games, acknowledge that they have been a part of our childhood. They may have been the first games that some people have played. And maybe what's the next step? Where do you take it from? What are the good things about that game? What are the bad things about that game? And where are some alternatives of where to turn to next that maybe uh, can give you a better experience? Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. So what what do you think people like about Monopoly? Because I think we have to start there is talk about what people like and what people don't like and see well, what what suggestions we may have. Monopoly is ubiquitous with... Games and yep. families, I mean, and, and schools. Monopoly is everywhere. And there are thousands of versions of Monopoly. Yeah. Um, so people know it. People, yeah. people have played it. And I'll, I'll stop there, full stop. Back to I'm, you. I mean, I think people, here's, what, here's my idea of what people like and don't like about this game, is I think they like collecting the sets of properties. I think they like the general real estate theme. I think they like getting income when people land on their spaces. I think they like getting valuable real estate, you know, that type of concept. And I think depending on the rules that you're playing, is like there is a funness to that auction that happens yeah. um, in the game. I, I could tell you, I like all of those things. I, I like Monopoly. Um, I, I like collecting the sets and watching the value go up. Um, 
I'm a big time yellow Marvin's Gardens guy. You know, I'm, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there first. People are kind of sleeping on it because they're trying to get into that green area, trying to get a boardwalk. I'm going to just stack it, build some hotels, and then make you pay right when you come out of jail. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah. Um, so I like the tension, the nasty competitiveness with it. Um, honestly, I haven't played it in over 25 years. Holy yeah. cow. But I played it enough from age 5 to 15 uh, to, to have some sort of merit badge. And yeah. I have some good memories. I have some absolute awful, terrible memories. Uh, so, so my brother-in-law loved Monopoly. Um, and he's quite a bit younger than me. So when, when my wife and I were dating and he was seven or eight and we'd play Monopoly. And this gets to the things of why it, it isn't great. It's like there was never an end. It was so hard to end the game. It takes so long. Um, That's why I think it's great. Most of the time, yeah, you can never lose because the game never ends. Um, it's a lot of times people are not playing it according to the actual rules. There's all these house, house rules, house rules yeah. that have developed that then prolong the game. There's, or end it painfully. There's uh, rolling and moving and hoping you land on the spot. That that level of of luck, the chance cards. So there's a lot of things that modern game design has kind of moved away from. Um, and I think everyone probably has a memory of being trapped in a game of Monopoly that will never end. This stuff just kind of keeps going back. And then the, the idea of the goal of Monopoly is to crush all of the other players around you. If the game ever does end, usually it's going to end in tears if you're playing with yeah. people that are young enough. So how can we take... So I, I've got the, the long t- play time, roll and move, and it's mean. So how can we take some of the good things and find games that kind of do that? So I've got uh, five games that I fit, think fit over some of these elements All right, let's hear that it. I'd like to re- recommend. So if you like the set collection and the real estate taking of stuff, I think Ticket to Ride is a great game if that is the, the, the as long as length isn't a problem we 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 don't get that to the table in our house because our my kids complain it's too long yeah but your kids aren't going to play monopoly either because it's too long oh correct you know so yeah. i think if you this is for somebody that actually likes or wants to move on from monopoly okay so you, you know, like monopoly here's what's next yep so ticket tried it so I think that's got a little bit of the real estate element and it definitely has the set collection as you're collecting those locomotives and completing those tickets, that type of thing. Uh, the next one I have, uh, adds some of that, keep some of that real estate and fighting over areas and areas being more valuable. And that's a game like Catan, which you're, you're building your settlements and your cities on locations that have value. That also has that income element. The dice gets rolled, and I'm next to a whole bunch of, you know, I'm getting a whole bunch of stone because the number nine was rolled. So you still get that feeling of like, yes, I'm getting income coming in. Um, it's got the trading in, in, in Catan. So it's a wheeling and dealing, and there's a valuable property. This spot, because it's next to a six, is more valuable than some, you know, the spot that's next to a 12. So I think it's got some similarities there. 
if you just love the income, you love getting paid. I think a game like Machi Kuro is a great next yeah, step. That's where, a good call. Where every time you roll the dice, there's a good chance something good is happening. You're getting money in. Um, and then you go towards that that stock element, you know, the stock market and the commodity value. And I think you're looking at a game like Stockpile, uh, which we did hear from the publisher. They have deluxe versions of that available when those go out there reprinting yeah, when, the base game. Right. Um, and I think another great one that kind of encapsulates a lot of that, if you really want that Monopoly, Mr. Monopoly type feel, I think Raccoon Tycoon is one of the best comparisons of auctioning for for locations and barons and getting your uh, your resources selling high, you know, selling high, buying low, that type of thing. So I think those are five different games that that you could try out that I think bring some of those things that we like without some of the things that maybe drag a game like Monopoly down. No, that's a really good list, Doug. That's complete. Those are five great games. Four of them have been recommended games of the week. Stockpile will be at some point when it's readily available again. Um, I have one more game to add from a slightly different direction. Sure. If you grew up playing Monopoly and, and you know, and you want a board game that kind of, I don't, how do I say this? It satisfies all your Monopoly taste buds. I was trying to not do a food metaphor, but I don't have another metaphor to land at this moment. Cape May is a game that was released in 2021. Yep. Eric Masso is the designer. Michael Menzel is the artist and the publisher's Thunderworks game. Cape May is set in Cape May. And not only is it a beautifully designed game with an awesome game board, but you're moving around the board. There's a little bit of randomness in there. Phenomenal mechanics and design. It's an hour start to finish with setup. It might be 80, 90 minutes, but that's my, uh, if I had to say a Monopoly killer, but Cape May is a game that I hope to play once a year. Um, you know, I hope that it continues to get to the table because I really enjoy um, putting buildings on the board and trying to acquire different property and and hoping that other people's property burns down and not mine. But that that's the <laughs> well, one game that if you if you are one of our listeners, longtime listeners, and you're thinking about you know what is a game that kind of does some of those feelings for me uh, yeah that that's one yeah no that's a great choice and i think there's out of those six games there's a a varying level of of complexity so yep. if if you're uh, a, a business teacher in high school and you've always used monopoly and you're playing with with non-gamers there's some good recommendations there for you if you are you know fully into the the tabletop gaming hobby you know something like cape may i think is yep. you know a little bit on that more complex level. I don't think it's out of the reach of our, our listeners, but no, no, it's know, a so 2.37. It's you know, right there. So you're stretching, right, right there. stretching yeah. that gamut of, of great next step games and, and filling in some of those gaps uh, to take over for something like Monopoly and, and avoid some of those negatives that are sometimes associated with it. Anything else you want to add? No, no, that's great. So hopefully that was helpful. We'll, we plan on doing some more of these with, with some of those um, tried and true games that are, uh, in every big box store and, and give you some, some next level steps for that. What, what happens when, when you need life after Monopoly? So let's move on to the high five. 
If you're anything like us, you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. This week, we reveal our personal high five simultaneous action games uh, to give <coughs> our listeners a Mike. Bless you, Michael. Thank you. Um, our listeners, a idea, a simultaneous action game is a game in which players are making decisions at the same time, ah. which they then reveal uh, to the applause or chagrin of the players they are playing with. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> um, anything else you want to add to that before we no, move on? No, that, that Doug Kotecki definition's good. That's all right. Good. Uh, he looked so puzzled when I said that. Um, all right, what's your number five, Michael? My number five is Korra, Rise of an Empire, 2021, designed by Headquarters Simulation Club. Publisher is Yellow, two to four players, 75 minutes, ages 14 plus, 2.77 out of five. And in Korra, players take two of seven possible actions on their turn. And as you work to manipulate, there are three different tracks that you're basically trying to move up. You have economy, you have culture, and military. So you're trying to get your strategy and actions to align together. And then the actions are philosophy, legislation, culture, trade, military, politics, or development. And so those actions all play in to those three tracks that I mentioned earlier. It's a great little puzzle where you're, you, you think you can do most things, but not all at once, and then all of a sudden, the game ends. <laughs> I mean, it really does seem to end rather abruptly for a game that is one hour to an hour and a half, and there's a lot going on in it. Uh, another very beautiful, clean design, uh, one that both of us have in our collection, and it, it's, it, like I just mentioned with Kate May a few moments ago, it's one that I hope I continue to play. I just can't seem to get it. There are so many games, you yeah. know? So this this was, was a game that came out with a lot of buzz and, and it's one that I'm, I'm glad that I do have for all those reasons that I mentioned. Yeah. And it's not, it was on my short list. It just missed out. And yeah. it, it's a, the interesting thing about that is you are making the choice about what actions you want to take, but you have to roll dice and your dice have to be uh, high enough in order to take the actions right. that you want. And there's some ways to manipulate that dice or, or to mit mitigate your dice rolls. But there's still that type of thing where it's like, all right, I really want to do this. Oh, shoot, I rolled something I didn't. How can I make it work? And you're deciding that and everybody's revealing it at the same right. time. And depending on how that works determines. And there's not a lot of waste. You no. might not get exactly what you want, but by yeah. settling, you're able to build a nice little empire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What do uh, you have at five? My number five is Mission Red Planet. This would mm. be the second edition published in 2015. The uh, first edition was several years before that. Publisher is Fantasy Flight Games. The designer is Bruno, the two Brunos, and we don't talk about Bruno, Bruno Catala and Bruno Fiduti. Two to six players, 45 to 90 minutes, 2.21 out of five, ages 14 plus, according to the box, 10 plus, according to Board Game Geek. Uh, in M Mission Red Planet, you have nine actions that you can take, and you are going to select a card, and uh, and take that action, and they fire off in order. So the one card is going to be played before the two card, and so that order of the way oh. the action is and the order in which they resolve can really uh, add a lot of hijinks, which is something that uh, Bruno Faduti is really known for. Uh, he's the designer of Citadel, which has a very similar mechanism, and this is all about getting astronauts blasted off to Mars and then colonizing different areas. But the the order in which 
you play those actions from your hand. There's one action you can take to then pick them all back up. Uh, is very fascinating, and it, it really has a, a slight feel of almost like a programming game. Yeah, but it's everybody picking that action, and then the program kind of plays out, uh, and it's really cool. It's a really interesting game uh, that the has cute little astronauts in it. So that is my number five mission, Red Planet. Cool. Number four for me, Pirate's Cove 2002, designed by Paul Randalls and Daniel Stahl. Publisher is Days of Wonder, three to five players, 60 to 90 minutes, ages eight plus. The weight is 2.01 out of five. And that's all I'm really going to say because I'm guessing Doug will be telling us more about this game and his description is superior to his, <laughs> due to his number of gameplays compared to mine. So I'll hold for now. Uh, it's, on my, it's on my honorable all mention. All right, well, then let's talk about it. I, thought, I really thought it might hit your list. So It was Pirates one of those Cove, I felt guilty putting it on there because of it not being available. Oh, yeah. now I don't feel guilty at all. Ha, 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 because I don't have it either, folks. But in Pirate's Cove, there are six different spots islands. on, the, on yeah. the board, six different islands where you can send your ship to. So you're deciding where to send your ship and then you kind of all reveal yep. at the same time. It, it plays great, I think, with four or five players because yeah. then there's less places for you to get into. Well, I'm going to send it over to you now. Yeah, well, each island has a, a different way to upgrade your ship. Uh, so, you know, one island is where you go to upgrade your cannons. One island you, you go to to get more men for your ship. You know, one island you can go and um, increase your sails. All of those type of things, and, and one, you increase your hauls so you can carry more treasure. And so you're trying to do that to upgrade your ship, but then also each island has its own special bonus card that comes out every round. So it's one of those things where it's like, that really has a good bonus, but I really need to build my sails back up because each each part of your ship contributes to a different thing that you can yeah. do. Your hull holds more. Your uh, sails allow you to move faster, which allow you to battle first. Your cannons and men determine how you know your firepower. Um, there's a ship chasing you too. Yeah, there's yeah. a there's a legendary pirate ship out there. So everybody reveals all the time, uh, all at the same time. It's like, oh, Michael and I are going to the sails. We both went to the sail island, which means that. We're either going to have to combat or one of us is going to retreat. Yeah. And so there's this big kind of double think that happens throughout the whole game that is is always exciting. It Every time new players play this and it's like that first round and they get at an island and then they get blown up and it's almost like, oh, this game is terrible. But it happens so frequently and you can bounce back. You bounce back quickly. So by the end of the game, everybody's like, oh, that's awesome. So great game. Yeah, and I've been waiting, thinking, well, maybe Days of Wonder will do a 20th anniversary. No, that, that we're about out of this year. They're, they're not <laughs> doing another printing. So tough one to get a hold of. However, at conventions, at at board game shops, at coffee shops, board game cafes, rather, this is one that's out there. It's out and about. There are a ton of titles floating around. All right, my number four might have something to do with the the time period, uh, the the season that we're in, or the fact that it just does this phenomenally, uh, unlike any other game that I've played, and that is Bottom of the Ninth, uh, 2015 Dice Hate Me Games, designed by Daryl Lauder and Mike Mullins. One to two players, five to 20 minutes, 1.71, uh, 13+, plus and uh, eight, according to Board Game Geek. That might be a little low, guys. Um <laughs> But in bottom of the ninth, this game 
perfectly simulates the pat the the batter and the pitcher duel that happens in baseball. Uh, it is in the bottom of the ninth. One team is the pitching team, the other team is the batting team, and you are as the pitcher selecting out where the pitch is going, uh, and the the batter is trying to guess where that pitch is going, and then you both reveal them at the same time, and then depending on how it plays out is going to be a strike, yep. a hit, a ball, any of those type of things. And it just, it's a really great, like I said, simulation of that duel that happens. Like, I'm going to throw a fastball. You think I'm going to throw a fastball throw. I'm going to throw a curve. But I knew that, you know, it's that yeah. whole Princess Bride type thing. So that is my number four, bottom of the ninth. That's a good game. Uh, number three for me, Sushi Go. Designer Phil Walker-Harding, Publishers Game Right, was featured in episode 19 of the Game Schooler podcast and can be found for around $7-ish all day long. Yeah. Uh, two to five players, 15 minutes, eight plus, six plus is what Board Game Geek says. I think you can even go a little bit younger, especially if, if you're pairing up and playing uh, 1.16 out of five. Doug, you ready? You want to say it with me? One, two, three, sushi, go. Boom, and everybody reveals one card at a time, and then you pass the rest of them. And right there, we just did a little teach on air of how to play Sushi Go. Uh, the current Board Game Geek ranking, this one made me chuckle a little bit. It's 138th overall in the family. Like, how has that one slid so far? That is such a great game, and 510 overall. It just shows how many great games have come out in the last decade. Uh, but, man, I'm telling you... Even if, if, yeah, I've played Sushi Go or, yeah, five, six years ago, it, get that to the table again. It is a fun little game. What's up? Well, so this is a – and this is indicative of Board Game Geek. So Board Game Geek, the, the number one site for tabletop gaming board games. Um, and I For I, now. Yeah. I We're coming for you. Yeah, I suspected that this would be the case. But Sushi Go Party – is actually ranked higher than Sushi yeah, Go. than the original. All right, All right I digress. So, so that's, you know what I mean. But yeah, yeah, but it's 45 in Family and 222 on that edition. So. Yeah, and I looked at doing Sushi Go Party, but being true, I mean, to oh, myself, sure. we, we have the tin. We yeah. have the, the original tin. It's probably from 2013, and um, that that's the one that I brought. It, it still gets a ton of play in our house. Phil Walker-Harding, great work. Um, and that's my number three simultaneous play games. Yeah, and, and I guess my point is there's no reason that the regular one shouldn't be Higher. ranked yeah. just as high. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, to me, those are interchangeable, and I think that's just a, a thing of board game players like yeah. liking the extra stuff. But I guess I, I got a little off track there, but what you're doing at Sushi Go, and we talk about it at length, you're trying to make combinations of sushi, and everybody's playing at the same time. And it is as pure of a simultaneous play game for a family game as I yeah. think you'll find. Yeah, and that's a good point because I I tried to, um, and not that there's anything, I tried to avoid drafting games yeah. because I think they're all that type of thing. Yeah. Um, and that's just splitting hair. That's my own personal thing that I attach to my list. But certainly almost any drafting game that you love is going to fit fit well. Yep. Should. Uh, my number three is a game called Broom Service, published in 2015 by Ravensburger. Andreas Pelican and Alexander Fister are the designers. Two to five players, 30 to 75 minutes, 2.4 out of five, and a 10 plus 
as the age and board game geek agrees broom service is interesting because everybody is selecting an action from cards um but before they do that or as they do that as you go around the table you <laughs> you have to choose whether you are taking the weak action or the strong action for the card that you picked and so if you pick the strong action and nobody else after you has also picked that action and has picked the strong action, you're fine. Great. You get to do the bonus one. But if I pick the strong action and then you're right after me and you said, I played that exact same action, I'm going to play the strong. I get nothing. Ooh. So that's why you would then therefore try the weak action. Yeah. But you're not going to get as much stuff. Yeah. And so it's very interesting that, that there's- save Exactly. Yeah, and yeah, there's yeah. not many games that have that mm. that level of- Oh, please, please, please. And you kind of have a little bit of information on what cards people have played. Yeah. And then there's also some like, uh, depending on the player count, I think that there's like a, a little AI that's like, the, you do not want to play these action cards this time. So it's like, now everybody's avoiding that one. So, you know, like that cuts down the number yeah. of options. And so it's very interesting where you're like, I'm taking the strong action <laughs> and hope that nobody else does it. Um, but it's a it's a pretty cool game, and that is broom service. Now, what's the complexity on that? Do you have that in it's, front of you? Yeah, Just it says two, his games tend to be a yeah, little bit heavier. Yeah, it says 2.4. Oh, okay. So, and this was uh, the, it's, <laughs> the way that this went is it was originally a card game that then got turned into a board game, and then the board game became more popular than the card game that then they – uh, re-released the card game under, so it was originally called Witches Brew. The car, it was a Witches Brew the card game. Okay. Then it became Broom Service was the board game version of that card game, which that became way more popular than Witches Brew. So then they re-released Witches Brew as Broom Service the card game <laughs> to kind of capitalize on that popularity. You really lost me, Doug, and I, I was following. I, I was, but about halfway through, I was like, why is well, this such a complicated hobby? Well, just, it's, just say it's a great They, they were on the Reiner Canizia plan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it should hey, be hey, easy hey, for hey. you to follow. Why do you have to get a Reiner in there? <laughs> my number two was a recommended game of the week all the way back in episode 91, folks, and that is Celestia 2015. Designer is Aaron Wieselblum. Uh, publisher is Blam! Two to six players, 30 minutes, eight plus six plus 1.32 out of five. We just talked about five weeks ago. It's a great game where you're, you're on this little... Um, balloon rocket ship and do you want to stay in there do you think people have the right combinations of cards or are you going to jump out and take your point card and everybody has to make that decision so for this game the decision of staying in the ship or jumping out and then kind of revealing um, if you have it or don't have it that's the simultaneous action that 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 type of simultaneous action is the only one that's on my list. I, I'm muttering a little bit, but Celestia is an awesome game, and we just talked about it a few weeks ago, so go check it out if you want. All right. My number two is Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition. I thought about it. Published in 2021 by Stronghold Games, Sidney Engelstein, Jacob Frixilius, and Nick Little are the designers. One to four players, 45 to 60 minutes. Complexity, this is the highest one on my list, 2.93. Uh, ages 14 and up, Board Game Geek says 12. Uh, in Terraforming Mars, Ares Expedition, you are choosing the action that you want to take that turn. 
the actions that everybody selected at the table is what actions are going to be available for the round. So if I take the the um, produce action and you take and Michael takes the the construct action and somebody else takes the income action, all three of those actions will be happening in the round. Yep. Uh, the actions that are not selected won't be happening that round. And then whatever action you selected, you get an extra bonus for selecting that one. So there is a lot of thinking in this game where you're saying, I really want to do this, but I think Michael is also going to want to do that. So I'm going to bet that he's going to play that action. So I'll still get to do that main action. Right. And I want to try and take this extra bonus. And sometimes you can outthink yourself. Um, and sometimes everybody picks the same action. And... And then once the actions are taken, as you go through the round, everybody is doing all of their stuff simultaneously. Right. You're not waiting. Off. You're not waiting for other people to uh, to to play. The game moves fast. Yeah, and, and we talked about last week too. It also has a cooperative uh, mode, which plays very differently than the competitive. So I feel like you almost get two games for one. And yeah. When this hit the shelves at Target, it was like twenty four ninety nine or something crazy. Um, I should have snagged that one. Good thing Black Friday's coming up. All right, my number one game. We're at number one already. Uh, this is by far the most complex game of, well, I shouldn't say that. I have a, a, one other one on here, but um, it's Smartphone Inc. And yep. this is Ivan Lashin, 2018, Publishers, Arcane Wonders or Arcane Winders, one to five players, 60 to 90 minutes, ages 12 plus. The weight is 2.74 out of five. Here's why this simultaneous action selection game is number one on my list, all right? Might not hit anyone else. It's but, my number one as well. Oh, cool. Then yep. I won't say a whole lot. But there's something very unique about this game that I love. And whenever I hear people talking about it, I'm like, oh, are they going to talk? And I haven't heard anyone talk about it. Not only are you a smartphone company, not only are you managing one, but you're managing one in the year 2018. It's very much tied to that time and place, and I like that. The style of hair. It's a, The guy in the cover has the same haircut that I had in 2018. 4G technology. NFC, all, all the different little technology upgrades are all tied to that time period. And I, I really like that about the game. Um, and, and holy cow, is it fun. Because the choices you make matter compared to the choices that everybody else makes. I kind of got lost on my run sheet here. But here's where it's simultaneous. You are deciding which resources you're going to go for on that turn and everyone's kind of deciding because they have two little smartphone tablets and covering up and showing and then you have a reveal of here I, i've got this or i've got um what are the crates I, i'm, I'm going to work on delivering on this yep. turn this is what i'm going to go in on and you can kind of see what other people are, are going after doug you've got a number one as well huh? yeah i mean those those little tablets that you're organizing and the, the icons that are left visible determine mm -hmm. whether you know, which markets you're going to try and get into, which, uh, if you're going to increase your technology, how much your phone is going to cost yeah. when you produce it, um, if you're going to work on delivery. And, you know, so all of those different components that are all based on the way that you manipulate those tablets, everybody's got uh, two tablets and there are different icons on each side and people are getting upgrades yeah. uh, that add you know extra boxes and things that they can cover up so you can make your 
you know, phone really expensive or really cheap, or you might and it depends what market you're trying to get into, yeah, right? Because yeah. you start off in one country, but you're trying to get into neighboring markets. So when you set the price for your phone, there there's a few different expansions. There's a different version, or or there's uh, uh, another game in this line called Mobile Markets. For me, Smartphone Inc. is just a fantastic, uh, clean, simultaneous play game. Yeah, so those are our, our our list of simultaneous action games. I had one game. Do you have any honorable mentions? I have a bunch of honorable mention. Uh, Go ahead. Karuba is an honorable mention. I, I, I almost had it in there. I took it off. And then two games that we talked about last week, one game we've talked about a lot the last two weeks, so it's like, I'm bumming an honorable mention. It's a wonderful world. Sure. And then Planet Unknown we had mentioned last mm. week, and we just played it. I feel like if I had a few more plays, that might be in my top five, but yeah. I hit the honorable mention list. Uh, the last one that was on my honorable mention is a game called Campy Creatures. Oh, yeah. Uh, and this is one where everybody starts with the same hand of, of monster cards, and you are playing them out to kind Henry of Henry Audubon, same guy that did Parks, or no? I don't. Uh, I'm okay. not sure. I'll, I'll look, look it up while you give the description. Um, Go ahead. But anyway, you play your monster cards, and they're, so basically there are uh, bonus cards that are laid out, and the... Highest played monster card is going to get the first selection um, from those those bonus cards, the point cards that you get. But each of the monsters has different abilities that are going to change the values and how you select stuff or if you knock other monsters out. And so it's one of those super simple, pure, yeah. simultaneous actions. You just play and, and resolve. Key play Master and resolve. Games. So yes. I have the same publisher yes. as Parks, but different designer. Maddox Schuler is the yeah. designer. And it really has that uh, great like 1940s, awesome. 50s horror movie, uh, mummy, Dracula, Universal Monsters type uh, design theme. They do That's a really a good, pull, good job Doug. of artwork on that. So that is our high five simultaneous action games. And that's going to do it for us this week. I want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at GameSchoolerU. And in fact, our YouTube is now at GameSchoolerU as well. Uh, We do post videos there occasionally, so check that out. And lastly, thank you so much for spending the last hour or so with us. We really appreciate it. Now get out there and keep GameSchooling. Schooling.